Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Lost in Science, or should I say Lost in Science Week, because National Science Week is just around the corner from the, I think, the 16th to the 23rd of August, and that is what we're talking about on this week's show. Claire, what are you going to tell us? Well, this week I'm going to be doing a National Science Week roundup, so I'm going to bring some very exciting events from across the country. Um, into your ear hole and tell you all about what's going on um, in the major states and cities. The major states. The oh, and the less major states. <laughs> Great, <laughs> major and the minor. We states. we won't we won't <laughs> specify which ones are which. Um, and Stu, what have you got for us? Well, National Science Week this year is all based around well, the major theme, as far as I can tell, is light. And well, it's the whole year is is light. It's it the is the year, year of, of light. light. Yeah, yeah. Um, we haven't had any years where light wasn't important. So I'm just going to look at why is light important and what is light anyway? Right. Okay. For those of you who weren't aware of, of light, that's what we'll be talking about. And me, I will be looking at another event that is actually on in Science Week. I'm going to talk to a researcher from the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute of Medical Research about... Uh, the event they're having around, is there ever going to be a cure for cancer? So I'll talk to a cancer scientist about that. On with the show. So as you say, National Science Week is almost upon us. It's that time of year when normal everyday activities get a little bit more sciencey, and there's a huge flux, flux of entertaining events um, that everyone around the country can get involved in. Mm. Doesn't matter who you are. You no. can get involved in National Science Week, right? Yep, th- this is true. This, this is, is true. true. Yeah. That is why it's national. That's why it's national, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and it's not uh, all week. And why it's all week, plus an extra three yeah. days for those people who forget. Need an extra weekend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a great week, or 10 days. That's a scientific fact. I think we can all agree. It's a chance to acknowledge the contributions of Australian scientists to the world of knowledge and generally encourage an interest in science, which is never a bad thing. Um, So I thought I'd do a quick nationwide roundup of some of the most interesting events that are happening this year. And first off the bat is Queensland. Uh, In downtown Brisbane, the Botanic Gardens is asking the hypothetical biosecurity question, what would happen if a if dangerous triffids escaped a Brisbane backyard. Hang on. So you talked about, well, carnivorous plants recently, didn't I you? I did. I yeah. did. You've, you've, I've touched on a subject that's very close to my heart. Um, I've always been a fan of the day of the triffids and secretly think that one day it might be very useful to know what botanists or um, pest management officials or um, land care experts think about um, dangerous plants escaping into society and the the um, and how to defend ourselves in such a situation. Great. I'm going to go on a limb here and say marginally more plausible than a zombie apocalypse. Marginally, yeah. Possibly, possibly, although the, the triffids were mobile, which most plants are not. So it's usually usually an advantage with plant escapes that you can run away from them. Or and, not, or uh, stand in. 
and do whatever. The Triffids had successfully blinded everyone in the world. Did they organize? Did they orchestrate that? I think was they that coincidence? did. Well, I, I was I was never quite sure if that was just coincidence uh, or or whether the Triffids were behind it. Mm. Little mm. too neat coincidence. Mm. Mm. So, well, if if you're as interested in Triffids as we are, then you should um, get along to that event. Um, in Northern Territory, in uh, Darwin, there's going to be a short film festival looking at how um, Western and Indigenous science uh, is going to play a very pivotal role in the future development of Northern Australia. So they're going to be showcasing um, a couple of short films from the National Environmental Research Program. Awesome. Yeah, which is going to be great. Um, and then our Western Australian friends are going to be putting on a couple of different festivals around the state. There will be a goodness festival. What? Yes, a goodness festival in Geraldton. As opposed to a badness festival. Yeah, you don't want to go to that one. Don't, don't go to Make that one. Make sure you sign up for the goodness festival. It's celebrating innovation and achievement towards sustainability in the Midwest. And is there a, is there a scientific way of measuring goodness? Um, maybe that's what the festival is Maybe for. they need to work out an SI data unit for goodness. <laughs> Uh, and, but they're, they're going to be hosting a whole lot of community events, lectures, professional development workshops and that sort of thing. And then in Perth, they've got a whole science festival happening over there um, with a free event for families and general public, big stage shows and um, all the rest. So Cite- Is that at SciTech? Yeah. I think, um, yeah, SciTech's involved a lot, but um, um, I think a whole lot of other organisations over in Western Australia are also involved. Great. Now, South Australia are doing something a little bit different, um, and they have pop-up science at the AFL, which sounds interesting. So this is like halftime entertainment or? Halftime entertainment. Well, it's actually two hours before the game. They're right. going to be at each of the five AFL matches at the Adelaide Oval So for those who get there really early. Yes. Can, they can go down to the Eastern Gates where mm-hmm. they can have a look at some um, science experiments, meet some presenters, and um, talk up the science of AFL. Nice. Can you imagine what the science of AFL would be? Well, there'd um, be lots of ballistics, I imagine. Yeah, kicking. Yeah. Kicking. <laughs> how to avoid tinea. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking we've, we've covered we've covered like uh, drugs in sport before, mm. but you know maybe not. Guess, don't go there. Sport, <laughs> sports, sports science. Uh, yeah, sports, sports medicine. Sports medicine. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Would be also in there. I'm Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I think that that sounds very interesting. So if you're planning on going down to the game anyway, make sure you look out for those guys. Now to Tasmania, small state, huge Science Week event. Um, They have a Festival of Bright Ideas, which is going to be held in Hobart. Um, So highlights of the festival include Josh Richards, who is one of the Mars One volunteers who um, is on the short list to be sent on a one-way ticket to Mars. He's going to be talking to the science-loving people of Hobart. So go see him before he's gone. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Also, in Salamanca Place, geologists are going to be on hand to do walking tours talking about the geology of Salamanca, um, which sounds amazing. Um, And microbiologists are going to be around to help you make fluorescent slime if you want. That way Who doesn't inclined. want fluorescent slime? I yeah. mean, really? Yeah. I think I hope by the middle of winter, you're going to need some fluorescent slime. <laughs> you're going to need yeah. some fluorescent slime. Yeah. Yep. Spread it around. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Uh, in our nation's capital in the ACT, now the coolest thing I saw happening in Canberra is that someone has created a giant inflatable plant cell 
and you get to go inside and bounce around in it. That is pretty awesome. Yeah, and you get to go to the chloroplast and see what's happening with photosynthesis and the chloroplasts or just hang out in the vacuole. Where, where's that going to be? Um, uh, in Canberra. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it's, it's it could be like floating around on like Burley Griffin, like the old Coke bubble. Oh, oh yeah, that yeah, that'd be, be cool. I thought it could be flying over like the um, the Sky Whale. <laughs> I prefer the idea of absorbing, yeah, absorbing plant cell on Lake Burley Griffith. That mm, sounds yeah, amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, and in the ACT, there's also going to be a world record attempt at Mount Stromlo uh, for the most people looking at an object in the night sky. Which you can join in other states and territories, I believe, as well. Yes. Check yes. out the Science And get week. a cheap telescope for your troubles. Yeah. Check out the website for details. In New South Wales, there's going to be a lot happening. There's a Sydney Science Festival. Um, there's going to be Science in the Swamp event for families down at Centennial Parks. So you can look at um, a lot of the small life in the swamp. And then there's also going to be some uh, life-size dinosaurs that you can be terrified by hanging out in the swamp as well. Big life, small life, all happening at Centennial Park. Great. Um, as well as a mini makers fair, which is a sort of market showcasing innovations and creativity down at the Powerhouse Museum. So that sounds sort of cool as well. You can get 3D printed things and lots of different innovations and Who doesn't tech love sort of a stuff. 3D printed thing? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I Absolutely. want a 3D printed 3D printer. That'd be cool. <laughs> That's so meta. I'm waiting for that. That's um, the that's a von Neumann machine, isn't the grey goo? Anyway. <laughs> Lastly, in Victoria, um, we've got Market of the Mind on Friday the fifteenth. So that's going to be Science Spectacular down in Southbank. It's going to be ice sculpture, sideshows, um, and all sorts of performance artists. Um, and also, obviously, not to be missed is Lost in Science' very own annual Science Trivia Night. Mm. And just a um, blatant plug for our science trivia night. Um, release your inner Einstein. Um, we don't expect you to perform complex calculus, uh, but maybe brush up on your periodic table. It's going to be happening on Tuesday, August 18th at the Birmingham Hotel, corner of Johnson Street and Smith Street. All welcome. Yes. Get your tickets early. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. That is sound. That's like a fantastic science week. Um, yeah, it's I like that be last huge. event particularly. But oh, that's, it's um, going to be great. Yeah. It's... Yep. Yep. So, for anyone curious about what's happening in their area, that was just some of the main areas um, yep. that I did the roundup of. But I would head to the Science Week uh, webpage, which is um, www.scienceweek.net.au. But we'll, of course, be putting up a link to, to that and to probably some of the events on our Facebook page and our web page. Absolutely. The uh, logo for the 2015 National Science Week is a light bulb. I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the special little squiggly uh, logo they've drawn. I think yeah. they have the same one every, every year. Do they? Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, this year it's the same. Uh, and, the, and their catchphrase, I've noticed, is ignite your imagination which is also very light specific. Yeah, well, on a more literal level, I guess. Um, I mean, the the light bulb is, you know, the visual shorthand for an idea. The cartoon version of when you have an idea, you get a light bulb pop up above your head. But um, on a more literal level, obviously, the light bulb gives us light. And the idea of ignition or with fire is directly related to light, which is the kind of central theme of Science Week this year. And in fact, as Chris mentioned it's actually the Year of Light. The International Year of the Light. International Year of Light. And also something, soils, I think. It's also the Year of Soils. Oh. But, you know, hey. 
Light is where it's at. It's kind of, you know, if you get enough soil, you can't see the light or something. Mm. I don't know. They're like opposites. But um, if, you, if you've ever been, uh, you know, if, if you've ever really thought about it, and people have thought about this a lot, but what is light? I mean, we rely on it so much and we have the International Year of Light, but have we actually even figured out what light is? Well, we kind of have, I think. Yeah, yeah, we have. To some degree. Um, but look, as soon as philosophers started thinking and writing about the world, they've pondered the nature of light and where it came from and what it was even made of. So I guess the early ideas of some philosophers might seem a bit silly now that we've got better evidence and a better understanding of how the universe works. Um, but they were, you know, they were carefully reasoned ideas that they had. They sat down and thought about how things worked and figured that they must know. Have you got any examples of these? Well, okay, so... Um, for example, everyone knows the name Pythagoras, mm-hmm. um, famous for his uh, theorem Triangle. of triangles, mm-hmm. uh, right angle triangles. But he actually thought something came out of our eyes, that something came out of your eye and bounced off something, and then that's how you knew it was there. Okay, which seems like a laser. Yeah, sort of, or, or like, or like you know those infrared cameras that have to shoot their own infrared around to oh, yeah. see what's mm. in the dark and things yeah. like that. Um, so he, that's what that's what he thought. Um, and that's, he, he thought that's how we knew things were there because we were sort of beaming light at them out of our eyes, which is obviously not how it works as far as we know. Um, we're pretty sure that it doesn't work that way. Uh, and even Epicurus, who was, you know, reasonably, well, not long after, uh, Pythagoras realized that actually the light is bouncing off the objects into our eyes and that's how we see things, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was generally agreed, they figured out pretty early on that light travelled in straight lines and like rays. And if you look at, you know, art throughout the ages, that's pretty much how people draw light as well, as sort of these lines of light oh, yeah, yeah. coming out of things. And, you know, you see it in like biblical stuff, there's rays of light coming out of the clouds yep. and stuff yeah. like that. But it always, you know, people, you know, you know what it's meant to be when you see a drawing of a ray coming out of something, oh, that's mm. light coming out of that thing. Um, but, uh... Early on, even uh, Euclid, who gave his name to Euclidean geometry, it's like drawing straight lines, uh, and Ptolemy drew ray diagrams, and they knew and they could see quite clearly how light could be bent in various ways. So like when it passes from air into water, it looks like things are bent as the light bends um, because of the different medium. So they drew all these you know, ray diagrams and showed that light could be bent uh, all the way, all over the place by different substances. Um, But the Arab philosopher Ibn al-Haytham is known for basically inventing what is called geometrical optics, which describes the movement of light very accurately uh, and includes the movement of light through things like prisms and lenses. So um, the Arab world was actually responsible for a lot of that early optic stuff with, with lenses and you know, um, magnifying things and mm-hmm. refracting light and all those sorts of things. I believe he published on that a thousand years ago, which is one of the reasons why this is the International Year of Light. It's a thousand years since he, his um, seminal work on geometrical optics. Yeah, that's right. That was, and, and it was only a thousand years ago. So all, all before a thousand years ago, they really didn't have a good, uh, solid understanding of how light moved in. That's why they called it the Dark Ages, Stuart. What's one of the reasons yeah. they called it the Dark Ages? <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, debate about whether whether that applied to the rest of the world or just Europe was stuck in the Dark Ages because yeah, they weren't yeah. paying attention to what everyone else was doing at yeah. the time. 
Um, so that that was that was a great uh, leap forward in explaining um, how light moved, but it didn't really explain what it was. So that that took a lot longer. Um, so uh, it was about six centuries later. We'll jump forward to the seventeenth um, century uh, when Dutch, Dutch mathematician Christian Huygens who is the guy who discovered the rings of Saturn. He was actually using a telescope, which is based on those old lenses from the Arab world. Uh, He discovered the rings of Saturn, and he had a theory. He was was actually a mathematician, so he was very theoretical. He He couldn't necessarily demonstrate his theories very well, but he could write them down in mathematical formulae, and that sort of proved his uh, hypotheses in that way. Uh, but his theory was that light was sort of an undulating wave. But in order for his theory to work, he had to invent a substance for the wave to propagate through, which was called ether. And a lot of people didn't like that because they didn't like having to invent something to explain your hypothesis, really. Mm. So Get used to it. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, the um, the, the ether was, it was a big... Um, it was, it was sort of a stumbling block in a lot of ways because it yeah. took them a really long time to get around the idea that there had to be something for mm. it to move through. Um, so, you know, the idea of the wave came from sort of ripples on ponds and that sort of thing. And obviously the water is the medium for the ripples on a pond. Well, also sound is, is a wave that travels through air. That's right. Yeah. Um, but they just couldn't really figure out how uh, light could travel through when there was no substance mm. they could, they could uh, sort of figure out what was there. Yep. So light traveled through a vacuum, for example, so they knew that it wasn't air that was mm. propagating the light. Um, but so a lot of people didn't really like that idea. Isaac Newton particularly didn't like that idea. Um, and I think he, he didn't really like the idea of waves. He was very mechanically minded, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, he thought that it was, you know, sort of very, very mechanical way that the universe functioned. And he thought that waves were, were a bit too random, I think, or... Something like that. So he he thought that light was going to be more like particles um, that bounced off things like a ball. Like if you throw a ball at a brick wall, Mm -hmm. it bounces off in a relatively straight line. Um, So he thought it's sort of more like that. Um, And there's been experiments, obviously. One of your mates, Chris, did some experiments uh, on the uh, the properties of light being somewhat like a, a wave. Yes, um, uh, Thomas Young, who I'm, who I've been reading up a lot on lately, he did some experiments that showed the interference and diffraction patterns that you get from showing the light is a wave, and it kind of countered some of Newton's ideas in doing so. Yeah, so so the um, that they were kind of they're kind of right and kind of wrong. Uh, it it does behave like a wave, and it does behave like a particle, um, depending on how you're sort of measuring the way it's behaving, I mm. guess. But the wave is actually exceedingly important when you look at what happened sort of... So Thomas Young was at the start of the 19th century, but later in the 19th century, of course, you had James Clark Maxwell come along. That's right. And where he showed that it was an electromagnetic wave, of all things. Yeah, and in fact, that's how it kind of fits in, is that until Maxwell discovered that there was a whole broad range of this radiation out there, of which light is a part... Um, and then they realised that it sort of fit into this big spectrum. So um, we put light now in the same category as all other electromagnetic energy or radiation um, on a spectrum which includes gamma rays at one end 
and all the way up to radio waves at the other end. And that includes things like X-rays and visible light and microwave frequencies in mm-hmm. the middle. So it's a form of energy. Um, and what we call light is just the part that we can see. So it's, it's almost a circular definition. Um, we, we had a word light and then we defined what it was by what we could see, which is why we called it light in the first place. So it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very, uh, unusual thing, but it's a visible part of the spectrum. It's not, it's not that, uh, it's the only part of the spectrum or the more, most important part. Um, some animals, for instance, like insects can see into the ultraviolet part of the spectrum because it suits their lifestyle, mm-hmm. I guess. It certainly helps them in, in their, um, navigation, shall yep, we yeah, say. Yeah. Um, and, you know, humans can detect other parts of the spectrum using various equipment and we can generate different fields of uh, electromagnetic radiation. And now one other thing about light is that the speed of light is called the universal constant. And it was actually Albert Einstein thinking about the speed of light that led him to develop his theories of relativity, thinking about what would happen if you were traveling on a beam of light and all this sort of thing. So it's pretty important as far as physics goes, Mm -hmm. certainly Einsteinian physics. When you get into quantum physics, uh, light's still important, but it starts behaving unpredictably, shall we say. Well, yeah. It's, well, it's predictable. I mean, it's, it's still, you know, it's predicted by the, um, the equations of, of quantum mm. physics. Yeah. Um, they're just a bit different. But, yeah, it is still is an electromagnetic wave. Yeah. And it can still behave as a particle at the same time. Um, and one other thing I wanted to say about light, that um, as a form of energy, it's pretty important. It powers most of the life on Earth by means of the amazing uh, chemical reaction of photosynthesis gets turned into chemical energy by plants, which we all rely on either directly or indirectly. Uh, And also as a result of the photosynthesis reaction is predominantly the source of all fossil fuels that we have, because that's mostly from plant matter and probably other microorganisms that fed on plant matter. But uh, all of the fossil fuels we have is basically a result of light making plants grow at some point. So look, we're pretty lucky to have light, I think. Uh, we'd all be still stuck in the dark ages without it. You're listening to Lost in Science. My name is Chris, and our Australia's oldest research institute is the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute of Medical Research, which is turning 100 this year. And to celebrate, they're holding a festival called Science in the Square, which is at Melbourne's Federation Square in and around National Science Week. Now, they have a whole heap of events on, including a science comedy night on the 15th of August, which is called Walter and Eliza's Big Night Out, and that features Paul McDermott and Rod Quantock. There's also an exhibition of the art of science. There is screening and dissection of science fiction films in silver screen science. And there is a free event called Talking Science, featuring four of Australia's leading cancer researchers. I'm talking to one of those researchers now, Kate Sutherland from the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute. Kate, welcome to Lost in Science. Thanks, Chris. Okay, could you tell me what is this Talking Science event about? Um, The event is really providing us with the opportunity to engage with the public and talk to them about what cancer is in the broad sense of um, the term and really um, highlight what research um, is going on in cancer in Melbourne. Okay, and I believe though it has the provocative title of Will There Ever Be a Cure for Cancer? Uh, What do you think of that question, Will There Ever Be a Cure for Cancer? (laughs) Yeah, it is quite a provocative um, title indeed. So I guess, um, yeah, I think there's not really one cure for all cancer. Um, I think 
um, you know, cancers can arise in different um, tissues. You can have breast cancer or lung cancer, which is what I work on. Um, and these cancers are really quite different. So to think if we can find a cure that is going to cure both lung cancer and breast cancer or, say, skin cancer, and we'll just have a one model fits all, I think that is a little bit ambitious. But I think, um, you know, we're really making inroads into trying to find out what, find out more about what each cancer, what drives each cancer. And if we can find more information about each individual cancer, then maybe we can target really specific types of cancer in a more um, personalised fashion. Okay, so for example, could you give us some idea of your own particular research on lung cancer? What are you looking at? Yeah, so um, we're interested in really finding out where the lung, where the cancer um, first evolves. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, I actually did some research over in the Netherlands for um, six and a half years, and there my research was really um, interested in looking at what cell does what cells does the cancer initially arise from? And this is really um, quite an important aspect of cancer research because if we can find out the initial cell where these mutations or changes occur, then we can really find out new ways to just target specifically those, um, those initial, um, the changes that occur in those initial cells. So um, that's where my research um, is based. And we're really trying to um, um, explore this idea of personalised medicine so where we can maybe model different types of lung cancer and then find ways in which they can be targeted. And this might come from different approaches. I've heard a bit about personalised medicine lately. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so I think um, a very good example comes from um, in how we now treat breast cancer patients. Um, so now we've entered an era where they can um, sequence the genomes of cancers and, and from this information we can now find new ways to target um, different types of, of tumours from this information. Okay, so there'll be different drugs and different treatments involved depending on the the genes that are involved in the cancer. Exactly. So it might come to a stage where we um, take the the tumours from the patients, sequence that individual patient's tumour, find out its um, mutation profile and then give that patient a therapy according to that mutation profile. So I think this is the way we're now beginning to look at cancer Um, therapies and treatment. It's not on a global um, scale, but more on an individual by individual basis. Okay, and are there any other uh, promising avenues in in cancer research that your colleagues might be talking about as well? Yeah, so I think one really exciting avenue that's um, quite trendy at the moment, you could say, is cancer immunotherapy. So this is making really groundbreaking changes in the way we think about cancer treatment and this is proving to be really beneficial or, um, for melan- treatment of melanoma. So Grant McCar- Professor Mac- Grant MacArthur will be talking, who's talking also on the night, will probably um, talk a bit more about immunotherapy as a way um, to treat cancers. And actually that's also holding quite some promise for lung cancer treatment too. So it's really an exciting new 
avenue for um, cancer treatments. Okay, so what does that mean when you're using the immune system to fight the cancer? Is that what it is? Yeah, that's right. So we're, um, exactly, we're using the immune system to start killing the cancer cells. Uh, very interesting. All right, so this is, um, sounds like there's a few other interesting things that are be, be talked about there on, on the event. So let's say Talking Science, that's um, Federation Square in Melbourne. That's on Wednesday the 19th of August at 7pm. Uh, you can find out more and book tickets for it and the other events at wehi, that's W-E-H-I dot Thank you very much, Kate, for talking to us. No problem. Thanks, Chris. Okay, that's it for another episode of Lost in Science, which is, of course, recorded at the studios on 3CR in Melbourne, Aaron across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the generous support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at lostinsci at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or on Twitter, or you can listen to us next week on the radio when, once again, Chris, Claire, Manisha and Stu will get Lost in Science! Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.